This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. I'm Arthur Falls, and today we have a panel of DevCon attendees, Alex Amsell, Hudson Jameson, and Jack DeRose. We discuss the Ethereum community, the development state of the consensus process, storage solutions, FreeMyVunk, Slock, Oracleize, and much more. Hey, hey, sorry I'm late. I've been having some technical difficulties. Are you there, Alex? I am here. Oh, nice. You haven't encountered one another before, right? So, Alex, meet Arthur. Arthur, meet Alex. Good to meet you, Alex. Hi, Arthur. How are you doing? Not bad. I'm really jealous of you guys getting to go to a, getting to go to DevCon. It was pretty badass, I've got to say. It's it's been pretty nice, I think, that it's kind of been uh, live streamed, and lots of people have been kind of checking in remotely. It seems like there were there were more people there than were actually present. If you see what I mean. I saw, saw some of the um, speakers, saw a reasonable amount of them, but most of the stuff was going on in the background and doing all the conversations. It was such an amazing group of people. Yeah, totally. That was that was a really big part of it. Was was um, yeah, just that the conversations that you could have with you know people that have been so excited about this for so long, and it felt like a sort of watershed moment, I guess, where. Yeah, all the people who'd been drinking the Kool-Aid for the past 18 months all were in one place and were like, okay, this is it. Let's all get far too excited together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know the I know the feeling from uh, the Bitcoin South conference they had in New Zealand and hopefully we'll have again. Yeah, it was really exciting. None of us had ever seen anything like it. I imagine this is this was quite similar. Yeah, I guess so. And it was it was also in a really amazing place as well, this uh well, I forget what the the hall was called. Is it Gilbert Hall or something like that? I, think, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> but it was uh, incredibly fancy in the middle of the city. So it was really like, yeah, some kind of mole group were just in there infiltrating the city. And, you know, little did they know what was going on right under their noses. You know what? I just realized, so everyone knows you from Colony, Jack. But mm-hmm. Alex, what's your uh, what's your kind of interest in, in Ethereum and, and why were you at the concert? At, Con- and, why, and, and why were you at the conference? There, were, there was no concert. Um, <laughs> so I've been working with uh, or been involved with Bitcoin for two and a half years and I got involved because I'm a game developer. Um, and so I did the first, I did something called the Bitcoin Bundle, which is a, an indie game pack with a few quite well-known indie games um, where you can only buy it in Bitcoin. And I've been experimenting since then and will hopefully have a, a nice game project around Ethereum. Um, but I also do consultancy and when the startups I work with, we have an Ethereum side using it for audit trails. Oh, cool. Mm. Um, Hudson just turned up. I'll um, add, him to, add him to the conversation. Oh, there we go. Except Pending contact request. Oh, the suspense is almost too much. Hello. Great to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, great to meet y'all. y'all. I think I met at least one of y'all at uh, DevCon 1. Yeah, we tried to meet up. I have no idea if we did because by the end of that conference, I was so frazzled. <laughs> I don't think we actually met. Silly Tuna on. Yeah. As we're doing this call, I am 
busy putting Magic the Gathering on the blockchain, I think, <laughs> writing some Solidity code. Really? That's, uh, there's, there's some portent in there, isn't there? <laughs> there is. It might go horribly wrong. <laughs> hey, so uh, Hudson, what's your background and interest in, um, in Bitcoin and, and Ethereum? So yeah, I've been interested in Bitcoin since around 2011. Um, I kind of just found it one day, um, I think on Reddit or something, and uh, tried to do some CPU mining, and uh, that was fun. And then the first Mt. Gox hack happened, and I was like, oh, well, this is probably over. So I kind of let my one Bitcoin sit for about a year, and then um, and I guess 2012, it just jumped up again. So that renewed my interest, and I Dived into the tech a little bit more because I was going through a CS degree, uh, computer science in college. And uh, yeah, after that, I got into other crypto coins throughout the years, kind of stayed up to date with everything and um, stuff like Darkcoin, which is now Dash. And uh, yeah, then Ethereum popped up and I thought it was really, really neat idea with the smart contracts. And I'd been interested in some of the stuff Nick Zabo's written. Uh, so it just kind of all fell together. And uh, I've been coding in Ethereum for, I guess, since roughly January. And uh, yeah, it's just a very interesting uh, tool. Cool. So how, um, I guess let's go in order. Let's go like Jack, Alex, Hudson, and um, just get an idea of how you guys felt about the conference and how it changed your view moving forward about Ethereum. I think it really sort of <laughs> solidified, for, so apologies for the terminology, but it solidified my uh, position on on Ethereum really that you know I was already thought it was an incredible project and that there were probably great people in there but it was kind of difficult to see because there's so many different bits and pieces going on all over the place but aggregating everybody in one place and getting the opportunity to chat to all these people it kind of felt like basically <laughs> there was a sort of aggregation of the smartest people that were walking around London <laughs> for, for a few days. And there was some really, really high quality conversations going on. People talking about some amazing, just amazing projects and amazing uh, ideas just flowing around just liberally. Uh, and it was, it just was a really exciting few days. What about you, Alex? Anything to add? Yeah. So the, I think the, the main thing I got from it was how, um, different the community was from what I expected. Um, having spent quite a lot of time around the Bitcoin community, you get used to quite a lot of, of discussion and, and disagreement, let's say. Um, within the, at the Ethereum conference, not only were there very interesting projects discussed, but the community was actually very, very tight-knit. And we talk about the Kool-Aid. Obviously, there was some Kool-Aid drinking, but I think a lot of the people there were very pragmatic and they're focused on applications and there wasn't a lot of arguing or disagreement at all. It was, let's try this application, let's try this experiment, let's see where it goes. Mm. Uh, what do you think, Hudson? Well, I, had a, uh, I thought it was a really, really great um, conference all in all. I was actually a part of the volunteer team, so I kind of got a different perspective on how the event was being run, and uh, I thought it was done beautifully. Uh, uh, there was a lot of different opinions on stage, and yeah, kind of echoing what the other uh, guys are talking about, there's not a lot of disagreement. I, I've been to a Bitcoin conference before, and you kind of have the weird mix of like awkward, you know, bank people and some, uh, you know, like 
I guess, Tea Party for if you're in the U.S. or like a crypto libertarian anarchist kind of sect, and they're kind of arguing with the people who are trying to be pragmatic. But yeah, it's it's just a very close knit community, and it kind of renewed. I feel like in a lot of people, it renewed a lot of their personal projects with Ethereum. The ones where you know they didn't really have a voice to talk to people about this because they're either in a you know a smaller area or a part of the world where there's not an Ethereum meetup. And so it kind of brought people together and like reinvigorated interest in a way that could not be done purely online. There has to be a human element, a human, you know, talking about uh, Ethereum to get people really revved up again for some of the stuff that they're thinking about doing with it. And I saw a lot of ideas uh, hatched at DevCon, and I'm really excited about a lot of the things that people are going to be doing over the next few months. Uh, what ideas in particular did you find interesting? So um, talking to Cyrus about how he was going to expand on uh, Ethereum, which is the, uh, you know, get a piece of the virtual uh, land on the blockchain. That was interesting. Uh, Piper Merriam and I had a lot of good chats and he had a lot of good uh, talks on uh, his ideas for expanding Ethereum alarm clock and uh, getting involved in some of the uh, discussions for the Ethereum improvement protocols. Um, and then also Oracleize uh, was a very, very interesting um, site. I talked to the creator or one of the creators of Oracleize.it, um, and they're trying to do the uh, trustless API integration to Ethereum. So you can, you know, call on something and it call back, uh, you know, sports scores or gold prices or whatever, and you know that that's a legit mm. Um, you know, call through an API. Do you know what the what the approach there is, or is that going a bit off topic? Is it sort of a, a shelling point type type uh, proposal? So how I understand it is they um, oracleize.it has a setup. You kind of walk through some steps, and you can either manually connect an API, so you can connect like a like I guess a Git call or something, or you can use something like Wolfram Alpha. And uh, you can say, okay, I want Wolfram Alpha to check every day or every week what 2 plus 2 is or something a lot more complicated, maybe the price of gold because Wolfram Alpha has that information. And they use something called TLS Notary to actually secure that connection and make it, uh, my understanding is kind of spoof-proof so that you can't have uh, any kind of man-in-the-middle attack between that information coming to uh, you know your smart contract. But at the same time... You don't have to trust some random Joe in their house saying, well, I'm updating the gold price, uh, you know, and like maybe faking the gold price or faking the price of Bitcoin. So it's, a, it's an interesting approach to uh, try to get accurate information on the blockchain that people are going to need for this future of smart contracts that interacts with real world data. So I, I've been spending some time um, designing an alarm clock type thing and then expanding it to how it could work with more uh, client-side efforts. Um, this is before Piper's project came out, and then his project came out whilst I was writing mine, and I've just left him to it because he's doing a much better job. Um, but as part of that, I was looking into, and I've spoken to Piper uh, before and at the conference about this, about getting the clients to do more of the work that could go on blockchain or uh, that the blockchain simply couldn't do. Um, so uh, I've been wondering about uh, if contracts need refueling. So let's say they're doing some hefty processing. Um, could you create a market for you, you pay Ether and someone will actually uh, refuel your contract so it can continue processing? Because the contract can know how much gas it's using. It can know when it's about to run down so it can store its state. It can do some of this, use some of the same marketplace techniques to source uh, Oracle-type information. 
as long as you can be cryptographically certain that the Oracle data has come from where you expect it to be. So I I think there's probably things that Oracle eyes are doing that can be advanced, that can be taken further forwards, that can take some calculations off the blockchain, but that will still be trustworthy. So there's more to the idea of the Oracle than just uh, supplying a reliable information feed, isn't it? Isn't there? I think it'd be interesting to see if we can create yeah, create markets for data. Um, I mean, clearly that's what Augur are doing in one sense with a prediction market and Gnosis. Um, but I think there's going to be some interesting developments in um, off-chain processing and off-chain data. Once we get, uh, there's, there's some technology requirements that need to be resolved for some of that. But I think other parts, it's actually just getting... Um, more parts of the internet, uh, more systems working with cryptography and working with signed data, um, because it's so it's not common at the moment, but it should be. We should know when a journalist has got has posted something on Twitter. We should know it's them. We should be able to prove that somewhere else. What questions did you find raised at the conference, especially in speaking to other people, that um, that you find are unresolved or you're 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 looking for answers for now? Interesting question. Hmm. So one that I feel I got an okay answer on, but it was still a little bit nebulous, and this also goes for the community, is, um, and I mean, we've gotten some good answers from Vitalik and others from the Ethereum Foundation, but basically what the exact role of the Ethereum Foundation is going forward. And my understanding is that it's going to be a mix where the Ethereum Foundation is here to stay for research purposes and for other types of you know, specific scope development and undertakings, but then other private entities that still hold the same values as the, you know, kind of Ethereum core mantras like consensus or um, even maker are going to take up some of the things that, um, you know, the Ethereum foundation either doesn't have funding for or doesn't uh, want to pursue uh, to then pursue, you know, some more specific tasks. So I got a little bit more answers on that, but because it's just kind of a fast moving, you know, process, I guess, or a fast moving uh, changes every week, every month on, uh, you know, where Ethereum's going as far as, you know, the price and what people are working on. It's just kind of hard to answer that question. But that is one that I've seen the community ask a lot. And I think got answered at least in part during DevCon. So, um, I think that was that was an interesting point, and it, it came up on uh, in a conversation on Twitter just after the conference. Was a, so I think I can't say I can't remember who said this to, said this, but they posted the message going they would rather have an economic debt than a technology debt. Um, and what they were referring to was um, Ethereum is in a really good place, but it, but having spoken to other people, um, we can all see that another two or three years of development would be tremendously helpful, mm. and it'd be a real shame if we lost those core developers and they could only do it part-time or or something like that when when surely we can find other ways to fund them whether it's through sponsorship through the inflationary model um but i think it, you know, i think all of us have seen what's happened with with um, the bitcoin development we don't want to see it happen with ethereum development um let's get another two or three years dev out of these uh, out of the core team somehow yeah it seems like from what i understand uh, many members of the core team are sort of moving off into their own um, private or for-profit Ethereum-based projects, such as Ethercore um, with with, um, Gav and George and so on. Um, And, you know, they're going to be continuing the development necessarily as a result of their their own projects, right? So it is going to be an interesting um, 
an interesting few years, but I think inevitably, in order for those for-profit projects to be successful, the the core development needs to continue. So, other than uh, other than funding and organisational questions, were there any uh, were there any technological or development concerns that people have? I know someone mentioned that on Skype because I've been I've been asking a few people this that they didn't get the full answer they were looking for regarding proof of stake and scalability. Do you guys have any opinions on that? I talked to Vlad a little bit about that. Um, so uh, Vlad Zamfir is one of the uh, main – actually, you had him on your show, Arthur, a few weeks ago, I believe, um, about the, his uh, mm. proof of stake implementation with Casper that him and Vitalik and a few others are working on. And um, basically, the – uh, the reason there isn't, from my understanding, the reason there isn't a, a ton on Casper right now is because it's a work in progress. And I, if I was in the position that they're in, making this very, very, you know, like very new, very, you know, groundbreaking research on this new type of incentivization method for the blockchain, if I release things too quickly, it can get scrutinized, it can get twisted, you know, in the forms and then not have the right amount of support. That would be my position if I was working on this myself. But from talking to them, it sounds like it's going a good direction. They have a lot of the core problems with proof of stake solved. And what they're trying to do now is just kind of wrap it all up, come up with the details and, you know, over the next however many months or a year, whatever, however long it takes, figure out all of the things so that they can make the best type of uh, proof-of-stake system they can uh, in order to make the network secure. Wow, that's a great answer, Hudson. Oh, thanks. Uh, Alex and Jack, do either of you guys have any thoughts on the matter? Um, I was quite interested in it, to, to hear a lot of the scalability thinking that's been going on. Um, I don't think we saw anything new because um, a lot of this has been blogged already. Um, so I, I think to a reasonable extent... Um, all of us within the blockchain space, not just the Ethereum space, uh, are taking it uh, as read that the problem will be solved, um, but it's going to take a number of years to, to know that we've solved it you know, properly. Um, one interesting thing that did come up were, were some comments about whether how Ethereum could compete with potential side chains on Bitcoin that are using the EVM. Um, and the point was made that they will suffer from many of the same problems in reality. Um, so it's debatable how much of a problem they were really solving compared to Ethereum. I think it was quite interesting that these questions were not things that were hidden from. Um, people frequently mentioned um, scalability uh, and so on. And, and, you know, it very much felt like that these were things that are very, uh, very much the focus of, of the efforts of the foundation at the moment. So that gave me a lot of, a lot of uh, encouragement as well. With all the buzz in the background and all the conversations, as was said before, the uh, a lot of what was taking place was away from the conference speakers themselves, and and a lot of it was in the uh, was in the conversations um, taking place in the background. What kind of projects did you guys hear people talking about a lot, and what did you kind of get a sense that people were excited about? Well, obviously, I had a lot of conversations about Colony, but <laughs> the uh, the uh, the one that people seem to be talking about a lot was was Slock, which I think is a really really cool project. People seem to be very excited about that, and and the demonstration really brought it to life. 
Yeah, I think slot was very interesting. Could you explain what took place in that in that demonstration? Because I haven't watched the talk. Okay, uh, were you there for that, Alex? No, I was outside the room and I got told off for not being there. <laughs> by, by Stefan, who then did it outside of did it in the back room instead. Yeah, I saw the I saw the um, the presentation they gave. I can elaborate on it a little bit. So, <clears throat> pretty much, uh, Christoph Jens or Jens, I should say, uh, was I think the I think he's the head developer, and uh, he was on stage giving a presentation about it. And basically, he was explaining that uh, Slock goes in and it interacts with uh, I guess Internet of Things, especially uh, in-home devices like locks. Um, heating elements, light switches, things like that, so that you can um, have a smart contract that makes any product that is attached to a smart contract rentable uh, is one of the main use cases they would give. So, for instance, if I have a, a house and the house is locked uh, you know, with a smart lock that connects to the Ethereum blockchain, I can deposit uh, Ether or Bitcoin once BTC Relay uh, gets fully implemented and unlock that lock for a predetermined amount of time uh, determined by the smart contract. So things like Airbnb can be uh, taken out of that third-party company, Airbnb, and put into your own homes. So you can be running your own Airbnb simply using a smart contract and a smart lock. And uh, you can even do that for cars, bikes, maybe lending out your lawnmower that's in the tool shed. Uh, you know, having a lock on that or having some kind of mechanism that starts the lawnmower once you've paid a certain amount of uh, coin. And uh, the demonstration they had was they, uh, on stage, which was interesting, Stephen Twalve came on stage with a, a tea tray, like a teapot uh, that was hooked up to, um, I guess, a battery that was hooked up to the Ethereum smart contract uh, network. So Kristoff uh, paid some Ether and the tea started heating up. So he basically did an on-blockchain transaction to do a real-world uh, heating element to have it be started up. So it's very interesting to see the blockchain actually interact with the real world in ways we haven't seen before. And, and I think that a lot of people, myself included, kind of thought that the limit of the ambition was um, around a decentralized Airbnb, virtually, to begin with. But it being brought to life so vividly that this was not that actually this is about paper use of anything and that is a really really extraordinary and enormous use case that they've opened up and they seem to be basically there so that's uh that's were there any other were there any other projects that you guys found especially interesting and um, well from my side because i i i still do develop games amongst other things um, I was quite interested to see the reception that uh, Vunk got, Free My Vunk, um, which was a project uh, targeting um, virtual goods within games. And what they, what they were looking to do and what they're looking to do is uh, allow users to actually own their virtual junk, their bunk, uh, and be able to trade them, uh, view them, and not have them under the control of, uh, say, a centralized entity who might be running the game. Um, that also meant that all the junk that they've been sort of earning through the gameplay, they want to be able to, they would like users to be able to sell those to, to the next set of players or to take them between games. Um, now that's very interesting for me because I've been researching this area quite actively for the last few months, and um, it was interesting seeing how people from outside of my industry uh, actually see things because um, I know that it's not quite so simple, 
Um, but there's something very good about seeing the, the sort of more naive view about how decentralization can work in that sector. So conversations that followed from that, that were going on sort of in the, in the back rooms amongst a few of us, who partly from the games and partly from the decentralization sector, uh, are resulting, I think, in, are going to result in one or two really interesting projects where I think it can work for gamers and where I think it will work for developers. Um, that's cool. In fact, Alex, I might, um, I might, I want to get uh, what was what was his name again? Uh, Tyler Russell Smith. Well, I want to get him on f- to discuss it, especially uh, the um, especially manipulation, in-game manipulation of uh, of in-game e- economies. So maybe uh, maybe I'll ask you to join for that uh, for that discussion as well. That might uh, might make things interesting. Uh, I would love to, and if you do that, I think it's Peter Bora from Consensus should. I was like, just about totally to say, recommend him too. Yeah, Peter Bora does a DAO Wars, which is a really interesting concept. I've never even remotely thought of it. Having smart contracts uh, compete against each other in this kind of, I guess, game. It's it's still kind of uh, beyond my comprehension what it's doing. I haven't dug into it, but they did release the alpha. Uh, during DevCon 1, and it seems like a really cool concept to bring gaming and blockchain together. If you actually go to the uh, Red, to Reddit, and there's a post at the top for links to the talks of the conference, everybody we're mentioning was on the panel for video games in Ethereum, oh. I think. It was on day four. So if you just go there, the names are listed, and you can watch that talk and see if there's anyone else you'd want to pick up. Cool, I will. Great, so that was, uh, so that's, we need hard info on scaling. What's holding up um, economic consensus, and how is storage going to work? Was there much talk about the about Swarm and the storage mechanism that might ultimately um, wind up powering Ethereum? I know that that's something that I've been asked about as well. That yeah. was something that a lot of us thought was that got a lot of comment. Actually, was that it seemed like people were just like, "Yeah, well, IPFS, obviously." It's like there was no real even consideration that IPFS wasn't the absolute correct answer. Um, it, it just seemed to be the standard in, in anybody referring to uh, decentralized file storage. And part of the reason for that, there was online discussion before the conference and then some discussion during the conference of Swarm. So basically, Swarm originally was going to be kind of like decentralized storage plus incentivization using Ether to store your files. So you basically pay an Ether for the for someone else to store your files, and it's a lot cheaper than maybe uh, Google Drive or, uh, or sorry, not Google Drive, like Amazon or any of the big storage companies, Dropbox. But um, now it's seeming like it's going in a direction where Swarm, and this is my understanding from just looking at the um, you know post and Gitter and Reddit, that Swarm may be on top of IPFS in a way where they might make their own decentralized file storage mechanism but that's more down the roadmap. And for right now, they're going to integrate with IPFS and Swarm is going to be the incentivization layer on top of IPFS where, because right now, you know, with IPFS, you store your files on there and then it's, you know, it's uh, as long as someone accesses it, the files remain, you know, um, on the network. But as soon as it's been a long enough period of time, the files drop off the network unless you, you know, actually host the file yourself or you provide that, you know, layer of incentive for people to host the files indefinitely, which would be the swarm layer in my mind. So I think that's the direction they're going. They're doing a lot of cool things with the, you know, swarm 
I guess, software and how to incentivize file storage to have these bigger files be able to reside pseudo on the Ethereum network and indefinitely. Uh, But yeah, I think IPFS got a lot of attention because Juan, uh, who is the, uh, I believe, lead developer, gave a very rousing talk, uh, one of the best talks at DevCon, in my opinion, and then um, a lot of uh, talks referenced IPFS. And I guess it's just because there's not a lot of other products like it out there. And even though Swarm was kind of going to be an IPFS-like tool, it's now looking like they're going in a different direction. I was just going to say, it wasn't ostensibly storage or storage uh, supposed to be doing a similar kind of thing, but that never seems to get a look in. Oh, so storage A, or yeah, storage with the J at the end, that yeah. one. Um, so they are, uh, they actually recently released, I believe, a uh, product for DriveShare. And um, I guess the difference between IPFS and storage as it comes to the Ethereum community is at least. From my perspective, I haven't seen storage engage the Ethereum community as much as IPFS has. There's a lot of overlap, so it's not as much of a people not giving storage a chance. It's more of a there's just not a lot of overlap between the communities. So that's something that people should definitely look out there for the different products. But um, yeah, as far as I know, I've just only I've seen IPFS pop up more. So obviously, you know, I just click on the links more. But yeah, I'd definitely be uh, willing to look into storage, and I think everyone else should view storage and IPFS uh, to see which one's going to be best. I spoke with I spoke with Sean Wilkinson about storage like over a year ago, and um, it was looking great then. And now, I mean, I presume it's probably pretty close to being sufficiently mature for just about anyone to use it's it feels like uh storage solutions or you know incentivized storage solutions although i suppose ipfs has been waiting for filecoin which is which you know is kind of on their uh, on their roadmap it feels like storage solutions are pretty mature compared to much of the other uh much of the other um solutions being developed in the space i think when you actually look at it i don't i don't actually think it's as mature as you might think um when you start going into the details, there's an awful lot still to do. And uh, certainly in the case of storage, um, they're building on, on actually quite tricky cryptocurrency technology. Uh, Ethereum makes a lot of these things much, much easier, but Ethereum is, has its own little nasties and has its own uh, problems to resolve. So I think, I think that what we've got is a lot of really good research and we can see that it's, it's very practical. But I still think there's quite a long way to go in terms of how how it could be really, really used. Okay, that's uh, that's interesting to hear. So uh, finally, I mean, what do you guys want to talk about about um, about the conference? I mean, there must be something that you guys that each one of you guys kind of kind of left you with a bit of a buzz or a thought or a great conversation you had that um, that you you kind of walked away thinking about. The best thing, so I'm just going to absolutely nail it for everyone. I guarantee everyone's going to say the same thing. The people and the collaborations that are going to result are going to be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Definitely. That's probably the best thing. And then on top of that, I like that it was very open and still very friendly. Like you could just walk up to a lot of the lead devs for a lot of these projects and it wasn't like with other things, like you probably couldn't go to a, you know, a Bitcoin conference and go up to, you know, Gavin Andresen or, you know, Mike Hearn or something like that, because they'd probably be swamped with people or they'd be, uh, you know, trying to avoid everybody because they get asked questions all the time or things like that. Or 
even in the case of DevCon, uh, Nick Zabo, you know, was the keynote speaker and he was there a few times throughout the week. But as far as I've heard, he wasn't actually mobbed or anything disrespectful happening in his case, even though he's a more of a high profile figure within the cryptocurrency and, you know, economics community. He actually was given a lot of respect, especially at an event like this that, you know, was smaller and more, you know, like people could have taken the opportunity to do something disrespectful, but they didn't. And so I thought that was really good on the part of the community and the attendance. Wow, what a wasted opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) I I did propose that we all hold up signs saying, I am Satoshi. Um, But I must say, (laughs) I was slightly inebriated at that point, which is probably Jack's fault. One one thing that I found pretty interesting was, in fact, an absence of conversation, um, an absence of discussion of price. I don't think I heard anybody at any point even allude to the price of Ether, um, which I thought was particularly interesting. And it occurred to me that um, at, at some point, Somebody referred to it as a coin, perhaps, or or that people might think of it as a coin, and that was really the first time that I ever it ever really occurred to me that that it could be perceived as being a coin. That's that's interesting because I suppose that is symptomatic of the point of view or the you know the uh, the focus of perspective that that the people in attendance had. So. Alex and Hudson, do you feel uh, do you feel the same way? Do you feel that there was more of a, a development and less of a um, and less of an entrepreneurial focus? Maybe that's the wrong wrong word. I think it was I think it was very very clear that Ethereum is about applications, applications, and applications. Oh, and with some clever technology, um, there was very little talk of price. Mm. But I think that's because the people who were there are just focused on making things. And there has been an effort by the Ethereum community and on Reddit and so on to not allow those discussions to take place in the common areas, which is very much, which I think has created the right attitude. Um, there's no one that calls it a coin. It's a technology. Mm. Um, there is a coin as part of it, or there's a currency rather as part of it, but it really doesn't get spoken about at all. No, it was almost like it was an irrelevance. I think yeah, it, mo- okay. it wasn't brought up as much... Um, and I, someone actually, yeah, mentioned that to me. They're like, oh, I haven't heard price mentioned once. But yeah, exactly what Alex was saying. It's all about the applications. And the funny thing was uh, talking to some lead devs, every once in a while, like just a handful of times, they'd be like, oh, wait, what's the price of Ether? And they say it in this way like they haven't looked up the price in weeks. And a lot of them are getting paid in Ether right now. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you know some of them even like up to like application developers within Ethereum are, you know, just completely just believing in it, not really checking on the price. That's just a, you know, something that is needed, of course, for the, you know, things like the foundation to continue to run necessarily, uh, or possibly because uh, they have a lot of Ether tied up within their funds and they distribute Ether to pay some of their employees some of the time. But apart from that, you know, it's just kind of all about the applications. You know, I think this might be the first time. Well, I'm the first time Ether even having a price has been brought up in the, uh, and this is what the sixth episode. <laughs> so that's that's really interesting. You point that out. I haven't even noticed that myself. I was actually talking to one guy um, uh, who 
had come along and he was sort of documenting what was going on a little bit, uh, trying to get into conversations with people um, to sort of discuss. And he's got quite a sort of political angle. He got into um, Bitcoin uh, because he's sort of a, a very politically minded person. And because Bitcoin is about being a currency and about it sort of disrupting finance more directly, um, he finds that Ethereum has a lesser, feels like it's got a lesser political motivation. There's, there's less politics in general discussed around it. I thought that was quite interesting because it feels to me as though the technology of Ethereum has got much wider reaching consequences politically than than Bitcoin does. Because essentially he does what Bitcoin does, but he does a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, I suppose yeah, right. It's um I, I feel like maybe it's too abstract. What do you guys what do you guys think about this? This is this is actually a great uh, a great panel to be to be asking as well because we're all, you know, just that little bit further removed from the core of it. But um, what? Uh, how do you guys feel about the politicization of uh, Ethereum? And um, and kind of, you know, have you guys got any vibe like that at all? Not as much. The only exception I should say is whenever talks come up about the immutability of the uh, blockchain in general, and especially the Ethereum blockchain and how it's developed. Uh, censorship resistance is something that's come up a lot, uh, mainly because it may be a cheaper or more efficient solution than some things like Bitcoin or maybe even, you know, tying down, uh, the, uh, proof to, uh, Bitcoin. Uh, but the, I guess other than censorship, no, there's not that much politics involved around it. Everyone's just pretty, you know, open to whatever happens. That is, um, those are two really interesting insights, I think. The lack of politicization, that I'm just going to slur that word, uh, and the, the lack of focus on price. Um, those are two like, pretty unique insights. I, I haven't heard anyone bring them up. And finally, I guess, because this is, that, that's probably enough content for an episode, Alex and Hudson, where can uh, listeners find your, your work, your projects, and, uh, and a bit about you guys online? So um, my uh, my. Th- Ethereum work, uh, we'll have some something online in the near future, very near future, I hope. Um, my game work, um, if you, the best thing is to look up uh, Euphoria, which is an independent game that I continue to work on, um, which is, uh, which was, we actually did actually sell for Bitcoin. I think we were one of the first indie games to sell for Bitcoin. And I totally hope, I hope that we're going to do something with Ethereum, um, even if it's just a some kind of limited edition sale that is registered on the Ethereum network. Um, so th- there will be news on that early in the new year. And Hudson? And uh, Yeah, as far as uh, where you can find me, I'm very active on the Gitter channels, which are the uh, GitHub-associated channels for some of the Ethereum uh, repositories, also Slack, also uh, Reddit. I'm spectacular on all those platforms. And then I also recently... Or actually, I should say, at DevCon, I did a five-minute uh, speed talk on um, Ethereum community and how to find Ethereum resources. And I made a guide that has a uh, kind of a tutorial on how to set up a private Ethereum network. And it also has a list of resources. So it has things from, you know, where to find the blog entries, how to navigate through proof-of-stake resources, uh, all kinds of things like that, uh, developers, uh, repositories. 
and it's on uh, hudsonjameson.com. There's a link to it in the middle of the page that says, check out my Ethereum tutorials. And uh, I thought that was pretty well received. I had a lot of people ask me about it after, and I've had a few emails. So feel free to reach out to me. I love helping uh, the community navigate Ethereum a little bit better, and I hope to be uh, helping a lot more in the future. It's actually going to get a major update in the next few days with some new links. So uh, yeah, check that out. Fantastic. And uh, and Jack DeRose, you're on y- your project is Colony, and where where can people find your other work? We uh, other work. Uh, well, you can join our, our Slack channel at slack.colony.io, um, and you can find me on Twitter at Jack DeRose or or also at Join Colony. Um, so um, a lawyer and I, Florian Glatz, a very intelligent lawyer who is also a programmer, um, and he works with Satoshi Pay uh, and also with myself on a few ideas. Um, a few weeks ago, we did actually do some research with game developers, um, partly after a night out in Berlin, I must admit, but it worked. Um, and we blogged the research on usedgames.tumblr.com, and we were exploring if developers would be interested in um, using the blockchain to allow the users to actually own their products and resell them, but where developers could take a cut of the resale. So we've actually published, we did a questionnaire and we published the research uh, and all our various legal research and, and thoughts on there. And we'd be very happy for people to take whatever they want from it if anyone's looking at ownership in the blockchain. Great. Well, um, thanks for joining us, guys. And I'll, uh, I'll have this published probably on, on Friday, considering that's my, uh, I just missed the last deadline. So... Um... So I've sk- I've sk- it's the first first and last episode I get to skip. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Arthur. Thank you very much. Thank this you. This is awesome. Catch you later. Thanks again, guys. I was on production and editing. Alex Amsell, Hudson Jameson, and Jack DeRose provided content. Show notes, credits, and links can be found on Twitter at EtherReview. We can also be reached at contact at etherreview.info. See you guys next week.